Hi, and welcome everyone to the Red Eye Culture Podcast. My name is David Young, the host of this here ship, and with me, as always, will be my good friend, Jason Deerwester, also known as Mr. Dapper Coffee. Jason, how you doing? Doing fantastic. How are you today? I'm really good. We're sipping on some coffee. Uh, it's a good, sort of cool evening in Florida, so it's a great time to record a podcast. So I thought to get this thing started, we would talk a little bit about why we're here, what we're going to do, uh, who we'll talk to, and uh, even treat you here as our first guest to learn a little bit about your coffee business and how the consumer can take advantage of a great cup of coffee at home. Does that sound cool to you? Sounds great. All right. So how's life? Life is good. Yeah? Busy? Yeah. Roasting all the time? Uh, yeah, if I'm not uh, sleeping, I'm roasting coffee usually. <laughs> yeah, I know that it's been a late night lately too as business is ramping up for holiday orders and everything else. Let's talk a little bit about your adventures in coffee. Tell us a little bit about your getting started with Mr. Dapper. Um, maybe even define Mr. Dapper for us and take it from there. So um, really for me, uh, coffee is been part of my life uh for as long as i can remember um on memories of uh waking up morning to the smell of coffee uh parents having the trip coffee maker on uh you know automatic turn on there like, seven days a week and um uh, saturday morning got it saturday morning cartoon waking up and smell coffee and as i uh as I grew up, um, the coffee became part of my morning ritual that uh, I look forward to. And um, like most people, you know, I didn't start out drinking my coffee black. I definitely was on team, but um, as I heard my palate, um, I just found a taste for black coffee. But, uh, you know, the reason I got into this uh started as a hobby. I've been roasting for quite a while now and um you know, it was really just because I'd go to the store and I'd buy a different bag of coffee every time I went because I never never found that cup of coffee or that bag of coffee that one that I would want to drink the whole bag or that I would want to buy again. Um and really uh that bothered me. Um so being the hobby minded individual that I am, I decided to uh, pick up the hobby of roasting coffee, which actually came at the recommendation of a good friend of mine. And uh, funny enough, uh, his father is a hobby coffee roaster and kind of gave me all the tools to get started, including the... <laughs> so um, that kind of was my first taste, was getting to experience uh, you know, home-roasted coffee, and I was like, wow, this is really good. Um, Probably the best coffee I've ever had, and um, so I was like, "Well, see where I where else I can get coffee from." So I started drinking coffee from all over the place: Ethiopia, Thailand, anywhere that I could find coffee. And uh, that's just kind of history. But you know, started sharing uh, it, and here we are. Um, yeah, really, just uh, coffee's always been, uh, you know, a mainstay me and decided to continue experiencing different brew methods, roast, and I was just trying to bring um, the next level of coffee to my customers. 
know, I think it's really cool that you say, and another really big sort of goal for this podcast is for everyone to be able to think a little bit introspectively with the people that we talk to, the stories that we share, just however and whoever we're talking to. Um, when you mentioned the the smell of the coffee uh, in the automatic timed drip coffee maker, you know, really that being what, what wakes you up most weekend mornings as a kid and that's kind of the, the smell and even a little bit because of that, the taste that you get before the Saturday morning cartoons immediately takes me back. And it's one of those things that I can remember both with my parents and my grandparents growing up. And it's a really cool thought too. So again, really introspectively, that one statement immediately sends me back to the first, I don't know, 13 or 14 years of my life and growing up where I grew up and the sights and the sounds and the smells and the memories and the people. Uh, it's a really cool thing. Coffee is such a simple product from the fact that, you know, you're not spending millions of dollars in development of some piece of technology for it. You know, you're using pretty time-tested and really true ways of producing this, but also it creates a very, very defined image in your head, both in your present life and in your, your past one as you grew up or in your previous experiences. You know, maybe it's a cafe that you ate at a lot, or maybe it's 3 a.m. at Waffle House in college, or maybe it's, oh, you know, Christmas with uh, with your grandparents and, you know, getting up for that morning and everybody just came back from the lake and ice skating and having a good cup of coffee before sitting around the tree. You know, a little bit personal there for that one, but those are the things that come to my mind. So really, hopefully, this has done the same for you in talking. We were just chatting off air about what makes the perfect cup of coffee and the different roasts that exist and how to pair them up, kind of left, right, up and down, circle, button, square. So I thought I'd start with this. There's a light roast, there's a medium roast, there's a dark roast, and then there's what's called a blonde roast. Why don't you tell us about those, what they are, what they mean? Um, so we'll start at the back of the spectrum. Uh, blonde roast is similar to a light roast. Um, it actually used to be called a cinnamon roast, and it, it has more to do with the color of the bean versus the actual flavor. So um, early on, um, early 2000s, uh, Starbucks actually coined the term blonde roast uh, because a lot of people were confused. Um, thinking, well, you know, this says it's a cinnamon roast. Why doesn't it taste like cinnamon? Well, because it's the color of the bean, not necessarily the taste. So with that, you're getting a, a light roast. Those roasts are going to be high caffeine, um, which actually, contrary to popular belief, a dark roast, least spectrum of uh, caffeine. Light roast would be the way you'd want to go for caffeine. Uh, but it's going to be a lot more milder flavor. Um, and uh, you know, it's just traditionally, uh, most people tend to gravitate towards uh, a medium roast, which is going to be um, where you start to get some of the, the body of the coffee. Um, you start to get some of those uh, more pronounced flavor notes um, as you drink it. And then um, thinking about a dark roast coffee, dark roast coffee, you're going to start to get more of that smokiness. Uh, from the process of roasting coffee, um, you might notice um, when you 
when you brew that dark roast coffee, you'll see like oils in the top of the coffee, and that's that's the oil that's on the top of the bean uh, from that process when you're dark roasting coffee. Um, when you're with your finished product, there's usually a nice sheen of oil on the top of the bean. Um, now kind of going back backwards, uh, a medium roast won't have any oil on the bean or very little. Um, as you start to get uh, oil on the surface of the bean, that's as you're moving darker and darker. So, you know, if you have a little bit of oil, that might be like a medium dark. Um, and then uh, a lighter blonde roast is going to be more of a dry bean. So there'll be no oil at all on the now, how does flavoring on a coffee bean do that? And we'll talk a little bit more about adding flavorings like your pumpkin spice, oh no, pumpkin spice, to uh, different coffees and roasts and whatnot. But how does that affect the oil that you may see in a darker roast as well? Is it going to trick you? Is it going to fool you into thinking it's something else? Or? I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, I mean, when you're flavoring coffee, it's something that you do after the roast. So... Um, it's, um, yes, you're going to have uh, oil on the beans because as you, let's say, for example, you're going dark roast, um, heavy amount of oil on the beans, as I mentioned, but um, when you're flavoring, you are flavoring during the cooling cycle. So, for example, um, for me, uh, if I'm doing a flavored coffee, let's say Highland Grog, um, I would be pulling the beans at about 100 to 150 degrees um, and that's when I would be flavoring them um, because that's when the beans are most porous um, during the cooling. Um, and so you flavor the beans, and as the beans cool, they pores close, and that sucks in that uh, that flavoring. So you're kind of like sealing that stuff inside. Yeah, no, I understand. Let's take a step back, and I think this is a really good time to do that, to talk about the roasting process altogether. And I would really love to talk more about how you source your beans and how you determine flavorings and whatnot. And I want to make sure we cover that. But let's just talk about the process itself. So you obviously purchase beans from a supplier of some sort. Take us through that point to being able to sell it on MrDapper.com, or excuse me, MrDapperCoffee.com. Sure. Um, so, you know, just like, like anything, um, you try to source uh, the best product possible, you know, the dream is uh, to be able to work directly with the farm, uh, build those relationships, you know, kind of from the ground up. But as a uh, starting business, um, you know, you just don't have the, the capacity to buy containers of coffee, which is really what, and when I say a container of coffee, that's, you know, several hundred bags of coffee. And, and um, to break that down even further, you know, the bags are 150 plus pounds. Um, so, you know, as a, as a small guy starting out, you know, you might be buying 10, 10 pounds of coffee to start. Um, sure. so, uh, really what I had to do is, is find importers that I could work with, um, that were more towards the hobbyist. So, you know, what, when I started this, I started as a hobby. And then as I got to experience coffees from all over the world, I decided, you know, this is too good to just keep to myself. So I started sharing it with friends and family and um, getting feedback and understanding, you know, what people's likes and dislikes were. And, you know, I know that's not the question you asked, but that's kind of what uh, bloomed into uh, Mr. Dapper Coffee. 
Yeah, it's awesome. So I've known Jason now for going on 10 years, which is sort of a crazy thought to, to think about. But in those 10 years, we've shared a lot of interests and we've kind of come and gone. But when he, Jason started Mr. Dapper Coffee, I think I was probably one of the first people to hop on board with giving it a try. And you know, always want to support a friend's business. But there's a difference between supporting a friend and being able to get some coffee and then being able to get a coffee that is at the superior level that Mr. Dapper Coffee produces. And that's no lie and that's no joke. And we'll share some of that information later so that you can check out the all the information that happens in, in social media world and on the internet to be able to check it out. But let's go back to the roasting process. So you've got beans now that you've purchased from whatever you know freight forwarder, carrier, or, or sourcer, importer as you would. What do you do from there? From there, um, you know, usually once I've kind of picked the beans that I'm uh, interested in, um, I'll order in a small amount and um, I'll roast them um, and do a process that's called cupping to kind of uh, taste taste test, if you will, um, you know, what I'm looking at and, um, you know, make sure it's something that I think would be widely accepted by my customer base. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that's uh, definitely a process that I do uh, very regularly as a, as a QA process to make sure that everything's tasting good. Uh, one thing that I offer um, that's a little differentiated is, you know, when you order from me, I allow you to dial in your roast. Most roasting companies, you know, you're, the Nicaraguan coffee, cool, that only comes in medium roast. Uh, well, no, for, for my company, I want to give you that choice because I know that taste is subjective. So if you want it light roast, let's do it. If you want it dark roast, cool, I'll do that too. And so, you know, as I am going on that journey, I'm making sure that I'm tasting it every step of the way to make sure that, you know, I'm giving a quality product, as, as David mentioned. Um, so now I'm, uh, you know, roasting the coffee. Um, and, um, you know, funny story there is um, I started this adventure on a popcorn popper um, <laughs> way back when. And, um, you know, you when you think of a traditional school popcorn popper, you know, I'm, I'm roasting coffee, you know, at that point, less than a third of a cup. Um, beans uh, at a time. So for me to do any sort of volume, you know, you're talking an hour or more, um, just you know, to get enough to to have enough for me for the day or you know for the week. So, um, you know, kind of graduating um, through that process, uh, purchasing a larger roaster that I thought was the bee's knees. I could do 12 ounces of coffee at a time, and I thought that was awesome. Well. Um, as we took it more down the, the business alley, you know, you learn quickly that uh, you know, only being able to do a small amount of coffee at a time really uh, makes for some long nights. So I'm excited to bring to uh, my customers uh, a different type of roaster. I, I, uh, I now have a hot air roaster by a company out, out west called um, Coffee Crafters. It's an artisan roaster. Um, so it is like a giant popcorn popper um, in the way that it roasts, but my, my batch size is far increased. So when you talk about this roaster, you've mentioned to me before that it's a suspension roaster, right? That's the it's terminology. A, it's a fluid bed roaster. Fluid bed roaster. So for those of you uh, that are listening and interested, 
do a quick Google search for fluid bed roaster. Um, it's really hard to describe this thing to you. We can certainly try to put some links in the show notes to Jason's equipment. Uh, but essentially, think about something like an old school on over the stove popcorn roaster where you're, you know, your convection air happening inside of the roaster is also uh, influencing the corn, the corn kernels to pop into popcorn, uh, but on a massive steroidal scale so that large amounts of this, these beans, these coffee beans can be roasted. It's a really cool piece of equipment and a really interesting process. Uh, I would love it this time too, because there, there's terminology in the coffee world that people on the consumer side may not be as familiar with, but really could be an interesting bit of knowledge. So talk to me about um, the temperatures that you use to determine what is a light roast versus medium versus dark, and also the wording of first and second crack, I think is what you've used before. So tell me about those. So uh, first and second crack are actually probably most prevalent, but um, every bean is going to vary. Um, I would say like a blonde roast, light roast, um, you're looking at a temperature range of between 385 and 400 ish degrees, depending on the bean. Um, you know, there's you know different density beans depending on elevation, country that it's grown in. There's a lot of deciding factors, but generally speaking, you know, within that range, you'll find yourself a light roast. What first crack refers to is um, just like you're popping popcorn um, as it gets to that temperature right in that you know 400 degree range um, you start to hear an audible popping um, I would say um, very reminiscent of rice krispies kind of just <laughs> snap crackle pop yeah and and as <laughs> as it goes um, you'll start to hear you know a couple at first um, and then it'll become more like rapid fire um, and you know, you'll have a rolling uh, first crack as they call it or the ultra when you know, if you imagine one to three pounds of beans, that's hundreds of beans all starting to pop at the same time. So um, that that would be first crack. Second crack, again, is going to vary depending on the bean um, and the density of the bean. But um, you know, that would be in the range of you know uh, 445-ish, um, and and that sound will be another audible sound um, that'll be almost like stepping on twigs. Um, and same thing, it's going to start gradual at first. So if you're looking at um, more of a medium dark, you know, you could kind of drop your your beans at that time. Um, if you're going into the dark roast, you know, as you get into that rolling second crack, that'll be when you start getting into uh, dark roast territory. And in the roaster, um, I have a, a light so I can see the beans as they're roasting. But um, when you're going for a dark roast, you'll be able to see the oils start to appear on the top of the bean as it's going. Okay. So, um, and again, um, it's all variable um, based on what you're roasting. But um, as you're getting up into the upper echelons of uh, second crack or, or past second crack, that's where you're going to get. Uh, more and more um, into that. That's fascinating. And you've mentioned, because I I am typically a fan of very darkly roasted coffees where it makes sense to do so. And you've mentioned roasting to the point where it's just dancing on the line of becoming a charcoal, right, after that second crack ends. 
Yeah. So, I mean, if you're if you're not careful, I mean, uh, the difference of a, a few degrees go from. You may have heard the term French roast or Italian roast or espresso roast, um, which perhaps another time we can get into a myth spec, uh, or segment, but um, espresso roast is not really more of a marketing term, not really a thing. Really? Um, so, but yeah, you can you can very quickly fall off the edge into uh, charcoal, <laughs> um, and nobody wants to drink charcoal. I mean, if you do, that's each their own i wouldn't want to so i had a note written to go back to this as we were talking because i of course have a genuine interest in 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 this topic and um love learning things all together you'll see as jason and i continue this podcast through the episodes a lot of it will be about learning uh either this thing we call the human experiment or some sort of technical detail or history or whatever is of interest and what we can bring to all of you as listeners going back to the question though, because you are a small, at this point, a small boutique roaster, producer, supplier, seller of coffee, right? You're doing this still out of space that you have dedicated in your home or at your home, I should say. And you're able to supply orders really to basically any size that a consumer would use um, and meet it very, very efficiently. But I have a really big question for you because you mentioned here actually a couple times that you will roast to a consumer's like, right? So again, we talk about me as a person that really likes a very dark roast. Well, there could be some instances where that really isn't best suited for the coffee that you're looking to have. So the question that I have for you is what kind of blowback have you seen? Have you gotten you know, a, a, a consumer that's been unhappy with a purchase because they pushed to roast something X, Y, or Z way, and it was really against the way that you would have done it. Um, the other side of that is, have you ever done anything that really surprised an individual with a story that you could share? Meaning you, you know, recommended somebody that loves a dark roast to try this on the lighter side and it really changed their mind. You know, you mentioned with the caffeine content and the flavor, what, what do you have for that? Um, I wouldn't say that I have anybody that, um, had first experience. Um, I have had, um, some folks that, have requested a, a light roast on something that would be a dark roast. And, you know, as a smaller business, you know, I have the luxury of uh, making contact, I would say, all of my clients, especially when they're new, um, just to kind of, you know, how did you find out about us? Uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, the last time you had this particular coffee as a light roast. Typically, we see it more in this range. Um, and, you know, I just tell them, you know, absolutely, if you, if you want it this way, um, I can absolutely do that. And it's actually turned out in the few cases that I've had, so, oh. you know, one thing I would say, uh, maybe not in terms of the roast, um, would be in terms of the grind, um, which is another uh, thing that I offer uh, to my uh, customers and clients is, uh, I can give you your coffee whole bean or grind it. I have actually had uh, several occasions where um, customer will choose whole bean. So they're leaving it at the default, which is whole bean. And, um, you know, they definitely meant to have it ground. And um, so me reaching out, um, 
made the difference for them um, in that uh, otherwise they don't have a grinder. So I have um, had some saves without necessarily being saved um, in that regard. Um, in terms of recommending, I mean, I've, I've definitely made uh, recommendations um, to sway one way or the other. Um, and uh, and they've all so far panned out pretty well. You know, I've found that you know most people that come to me are pretty agreeable in that sense. And I can't say that I have a, a, any one story that really sticks out um, in regards to roast, but um, I have had you know some interesting stories and in just sure understand. That's what really makes your game a little different than buying a product either off a shelf in a store um, or even ordering from a bigger producer is that at some point, as great as customer service can be, you know, you're still a person calling a phone number and getting into a queue of other people. Whereas ordering a sm from a small batch roaster like Mr. Dapper Coffee, you know, you are David placing an order on Thursday and Jason as the owner, operator, and purveyor of fine coffee with Mr. Dapper Coffee is going to be able to have a direct one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, but still be able to meet the demand that you want. So in that vein, let's talk a little bit about grinds. Let's talk a little bit about flavors. And let's talk a little bit about preparation of what makes a great cup of coffee. I have never considered myself one for flavored coffees. In fact, I think as you and I talked coffee getting going, um, you really had to kind of turn me on to the idea of it. and. Now I'm almost polar opposite. In fact, you brought some samples of some single origin coffees today to get me back into the neighborhood of drinking a non-flavored coffee uh, because you've done such a good job of creating flavors, of supplying them, and, but also really turning me on and a lot of people onto coffee flavors that are just outside of the norm. So you're talking very fruity flavors, you know, your strawberries and blueberries and bananas. You've got um, very kind of robust flavorings with, you mentioned earlier, Highland Grog, which is my immediate go-to favorite to recommend for everybody. That is my absolute favorite. Tell me a little bit about the flavors, how you come across them, the process of flavoring coffee, and um, you know, ultimately what makes the decision to have that coffee go live with Mr. Dapper. Sure. Um, I would say that, uh, funny enough, uh, flavored coffee, we can thank Mrs. Dapper for that because uh, <laughs> shout out to Christy. She uh, she was the one that um, we take an annual trip every year. Uh, for those of you uh, folks that are in the Volkswagen community, to uh, Helen, Georgia, each year, and uh, there's a uh, coffee shop up there that we uh, like to go to, and they have this uh, really great Southern pecan uh, coffee. That, uh, that she fancies, and so I had a mission to figure out how to recreate that coffee, um, and I feel like I did that pretty successfully, um, but in so doing that, I started getting requests for other coffees, and um, you know, just kind of snowballed from there, uh, kind of turned into um, looking to see what um, kind of how we could push the envelope and and go for flavors that were a little bit more out there, 
Um, you know, surprisingly, the more out there I went, the more people liked them. Like, uh, you know, chocolate raspberry was something that I didn't think would be popular, but, you know, people love that one. Chocolate orange, uh, pineapple upside down cake. My favorite. Uh, getting into, you know, holiday season, of course, we had to have pumpkin spice because why not? It's the phenomenon. And, um, you know, so having having a little bit of fun with it, too, and, and looking at, you know, how we can bring flavors but be different. And I know that when we think about and talk about specialty coffee, small batch coffee, um, there are a lot of folks out there that um, I am I'm going against the grain right now because flavored coffee is um, not not everybody's cup of tea. But um, I would say, you know, for us, it was capturing a different audience. You know, not everybody likes single origin coffee. I, I am not a flavored coffee person myself. Um, and um, I am a, a purist. I drink my coffee black. Um, and that's just the way that I prefer it. So, um, but, you know, um, everyone has different tastes. And so we wanted to kind of reach that audience as well as the audience that likes, you know, their uh, classic coffees. And you know, certainly if you like to add cream and sugar to your coffee, then, you know, that's, that's your choice as well. Uh, but I think my, my goal in life um, in terms of the coffee world is to find that coffee that you can drink without cream and sugar because there's got to be a coffee out there for you. There's so many different regions. And, you know, speaking of flavors, there's so many different flavors out there in, in a single origin coffee that are non-traditional um, bring you that experience. Let's talk about that. So single origin beans, where do you get them from? Um, maybe nationality of origin and what the flavor profile is for what you offer most. Okay. I mean, so that can be a wide range. Um, for what I have specifically, you're talking um, coffees from Nicaragua, Colombia, Guatemala, uh, Sumatra, uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, places like that. I mean, there's hundreds of growing regions and countries uh, across the globe that you know offer different scents. So, what a single origin means is it's it's one one country. So, like Colombia, for example, and you know there's different regions within Colombia and and areas and different farms even. Um, but for the most part, it's it's just Colombian coffee. Whereas, if you were to think of a blend. Blend would be mixing, you know, Central American beans with beans from South America um, or the like. So that's the difference when you're looking at a single uh, origin coffee. So in your experience, then, with a single origin versus a blend, do you find because you don't do much with blended coffees, right? I have, I have a couple blends. Oh, oh, that's okay. So when we're talking about a flavor profile, then. Are you choosing the blend to suit a flavor suit of flavor profile that you are after, or is it more of a, this supplier offers this, so I'm going to offer this to my consumers? Do you use it as a base to for flavored coffees? How does that play in versus single origin? Um, I actually use a single origin uh, Brazilian coffee for the uh, flavored coffees, um, and I do that for the reason that it's a lower acidity. Um, so, you know, for folks that have uh, stomach issues it, and 
being that they like flavored coffee, it would allow them to drink it without, you know, having, hopefully having any complications. But um, in terms of the blends, um, you know, really more just kind of more so looking at the, the brewing perspective. Um, a lot of my blends uh, play very well in the space of, uh, you know, pulling a shot of espresso or, um, you know, go very well as a milk drink. Uh, like a latte. Um, I have uh, one that um, it is called uh, Not So Average Joe that is uh, does really well as a pour-over or a French press. Um, it's got a lot of uh, complexity and body to it, um, and actually a um, majority of um, my customer base really enjoys that one as a dark roast because it does blend a little bit of bitterness as well, and you know, some of those folks like that uh, that trait of the coffee um but i mean in general um you know the blend is just a another way to enjoy the coffee you're mixing um you know you're mixing regions that will either have similar uh taste traits or or complete opposite if you know depending on what you're going for and you know you don't tep- typically do like a 50-50, you would typically, you know, depending on what you're going for, you might, you know, have the Brazilian coffee be more uh, forward or, or what have you. You go with a higher percentage uh, based on the flavor notes that you're trying to highlight. That's awesome. So when we talk about coffees and these blends, um, again, one of the items that we were talking about offline for getting before getting this podcast started were the different preparations. So Jason and I currently are enjoying a cup through um, or from my French press, and we were talking about weights and temperatures and times and all the things that go in to make this golden triangle of the perfect cup of coffee. But let's talk about the different uh, methods that a consumer at home may prepare their coffee. So the most basics of which we have a pour over or a drip. We'll kind of put those in a similar category, right? We've got a, a French press and we've got Maybe something like a K cup or an automated machine. Uh, anything else we may we may be able to talk I mean, on? You, you old school, uh, like a stovetop percolator. Oh yeah. Um, and really, in the in the realm of pour over, um, you have two different options. You have your um, most popular options. I should say there are more options, but um, like your Cario V60 uh, pour over, um, and then you have your Chemex uh, pour over. What in the world are those? Um, different. Uh, so the the Hario is uh, more of a, a setup where you've got your um, funnel on the top, and then it goes into a, a beaker type setup in the bottom, and it's got like a spiral to the funnel. Um, and you use a paper cone filter for that. Um, and that coffee actually, uh, or that cup, I should say, method. Um, Actually, you use more of a medium fine grind on, um, and the grind does make a difference, um, just like most things. Um, and uh, while I do offer uh, my coffees, you know, ground to order, um, I always recommend whole bean. Um, if you want the freshest cup of coffee, it's always best to grind your coffee right before consumption. Um, and um, so, in terms of the Chemex. Chemex, you go more of a, you would go with a coarser grind. 
Um, and, uh, you know, for those stepping out of the realm of drip coffee or, or K-Cup and looking to try something different, I would definitely recommend the, the Chemex. It's a little bit more forgiving than the, um, the Hario due to the fact that it is a coarser grind. So, um, you know, when you get into that more fine range, you know, the, it may require some more fine tuning to really get that perfect cup of coffee. Uh, but the cool thing about pour over is, um, you know, it, it's very doable to uh, to get that dialed in and, and get yourself a very consistent cup of coffee once you figure out what that ideal grind is. Yeah, you were mentioning that the pour over uh, is more conducive to giving you the aromatic feel of a coffee or the, the aromatics of a coffee yeah. and let them be as much in the nose as maybe they are on the back of the tongue or the front of the tongue versus French press, which produces this bolder tasting type coffee yeah you'll get more body uh from a french press french press is uh plays in the realm of a coarse uh coarse grind so uh, when you think of a coarse grind it's more like uh prominent granular um things that um you coarse grind would be like a percolator french press cold brew coffee um and um as you grind finer you're looking more towards like uh of salt, uh, sugar, um, as you're going down into, you know, all the way to an espresso grind uh, where you're looking at more of like a fine powder and even finer than that, a Turkish coffee. You know, that's a really, really great uh, set of reference points you give there where you're looking at maybe like a coarse ground pepper versus a sugar crystal versus a salt crystal, as you would know it from a salt shaker or even in a powder um, so what I'm going to do is put in the show notes uh, the different methods or the different um, particular brewing apparatuses, I guess, from the Hario and the Chemex, and also some reference points to what makes sense uh, when you're brewing for, or I'm sorry, when you are grinding for a French press versus these other pour-over type methods. So feel free to reference those show notes to be able to take advantage of getting the perfect cup of coffee at home. Let's talk about cold brew coffee. Another one of those sort of trends that's been sweeping the nation for the last, I don't know, a couple years or so. Cold brew coffee works a little bit like steeping uh, a tea and creating the perfect cup of tea. Is that right? Similar. Um, you know, it's more of a, a long, a lot longer than steeping a cup of tea. Um, you know, you're essentially creating a coffee concentrate. Um, so... As we mentioned uh, in the previous segment about um, grinds, uh, you'd go with a more coarse grind. Um, your general steep time is between um, 18 and 24 hours. Certainly you can go less than that. Um, I wouldn't recommend going any more than that. You know, you don't want to risk um, making it bitter. The cool thing about cold brew coffee is that it does uh, remove a majority or a vast majority, I should say, of the um, the bitterness um, that you get from coffee or the acidity. Um, so what you're left with is um, a very smooth um, drinking coffee. Um, great, obviously, uh, being that it is cold to uh, throw over ice um, and enjoy on a hot day uh, or, you know, really any day in Florida because it's always hot almost, except for today. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a nice, refreshing thing. Um, you know, if you need that uh, midday pick-me-up, um, you have your, grab your cold brew, ready to go out of the fridge, and there you have it. Speaking of which, um, I will be 
releasing a cold brew blend um, on the website here coming up shortly uh, for purchase. So if you are um, on Team Cold Brew and you want to you know, give that a try, um, I'll tell you to head over to the website and look at the blend section, and it'll be there. It'll be a cold brew blend. Um, and we are using a uh, Mexican high-grown uh, coffee um, known for its uh, prevalent chocolate notes. Um, so you get a nice uh, mocha coffee infusion type uh, cold brew there, and uh, we're excited to uh, hopefully get that released here in the next uh, week or so. Yeah, that sounds really good. So that would be, you know, drinking an iced coffee with that little bit of chocolate note is always really refreshing. But also as you look at making a uh, an iced latte or some sort of macchiato with that ice blend, that chocolatey note will come through really nicely. That sounds really delicious. So you heard it here first. That's the first time I've heard him talk about it. And it will come to MrDapperCoffee.com live here very soon. If you're listening to this podcast in December of the year 2020, then great, you've made it through 2020. But also, keep an eye out for MrDapper.Coffee.com for, uh, for that cold brew blend. That's really great. It's been really cool talking, Jason. And I know 2020 has been an enormous year for Mr. Dapper Coffee, and it's only, only, only going up from here. Uh, talk a little bit about where everybody can find your business, uh, what you may have going on, either locally here in the Southwest Florida region, um, and how people can find you. Sure. Um, you can uh, find us at uh, www.mrdappercoffee.com. Um, I proudly serve the Southwest Florida area. Um, I offer free hand delivery to Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Lehigh Acres, Um One thing that I like to hang my hat on is I mentioned the roast, grind, we roast to order. So you order your coffee and I roast it. I, uh, so you are getting fresh coffee every time that coffee sitting on a shelf or in a warehouse for months at a time catered to you. And I'm also, you know, striving to deliver an experience that, um, makes you be a long time customer. Um, because I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to create, uh, customers and clients for life, um, not a one-time shot. So I'm always uh, big on customer experience and, and what I can do to uh, to bring you back. That sounds great. So my bit of recommendation for all you people uh, now thirsty for Mr. Dapper Coffee, try out the Highland Grog, try out the Pineapple Upside Down, try out the Nicaragua. Those are three absolute solid go-tos that'll keep you with a familiar taste, hopefully a new taste, and then something you can you can really just get get warmed up of uh, in the colder season of the year. So it's been really great talking to you, Jason. Um, I look forward to these future episodes. I think that as we work into getting more guests involved, there could be some great some great opportunities to talk more coffee and also share some. So be on the lookout for the next episode of Red Eye Culture, and we look. See you there.